It's time for Caught on Tape with Doug Murin. And now your host, Doug Murin. One of the advantages to uh, have been doing what, what I do for a long time is you uh, meet all kinds of people who they in turn know all kinds of people. So you can say, hey, I want someone like this to talk to. And invariably, one of my friends says, I know just the guy. So I, I've been worried about my home city here. I've lived on the East Coast. I've lived in Idaho here, but I, Seattle area is, is, my, is my heart and home. But uh, when I came back to Seattle and I drove up I-90 and I drug, walked around downtown Seattle, my heart sunk because I hadn't been here, see, probably for, what, 10 years, 8 to 10 years. And when I saw the amount of heroin addiction on the streets of the city I love, it broke my heart, and I think it impacted me more than many of my Seattle friends. And I know some of you live in other cities that are listening to the podcast and other, and I know it can't be that dissimilar in your town. But I, I know sometimes this stuff kind of inches up on you, and it happens, and you don't pay that much attention to it. But when you've been out of an area and you come in and you see camps of heroin addicts, uh, it, it, it horrified me. And uh, I've, I've spent a lot of my life dealing with uh, people dealing with drug addiction. In fact, I even started a, a, a clinic for people who had no insurance and whatnot to help them get off drugs. I worked with uh, heroin addicts, and we've got a guest today who's a pastor, uh, a Foursquare pastor in South Everett, Foursquare, Chris Pepler, who actually was part of the church I pastored. I didn't know about it, just found out earlier. And, uh, but he works a great deal with the situation I'm talking about, I, I watched a piece from Como TV here in Seattle uh, about the extent of the opioid epidemic and the heroin epidemic and what it's doing to our streets and our city. And I don't, there's part of me that, you know, I, I, I had a rough year health-wise last year, but I'm feeling better. There's a part of me that has always felt this way. I've felt very protective about Seattle. I've always felt like not in my town. Not in my town. That is not going to happen in my town. And so uh, we we've got a we've got a serious serious problem here. And I have Chris Prepler with me. Uh, did I say that right, Pepler? That's right, Doc. Pepler. Nice to be with you today. Yeah. What kind of name is Pepler? That's it's a, a German name. It's a good name, Pepler. Okay. Well, yeah. yeah. That makes sense. That's as good as Mürren. Yeah. So it's German Swiss. So Chris, you work as a pastor. In uh, in Everett, Washington, right? Yeah, uh, South Everett Foursquare Church. We meet on Casino Road in in South Everett. Uh huh. And so we could we could if somebody needed some help when we're done with the program, they could get a hold of you at at, at that that number, and you'd be able to help them, right? Yeah, you can visit us at uh, southeverett.org, dot org, and all right. of our contact okay. information cool. is there. Because I'm I'm sure if I know anything about this plague we're talking about today. Probably virtually everybody listening knows somebody who needs somebody. Uh, tell tell me a little bit. Tell me a little bit. Uh, you know, give give me some some data. Give me some stats. Let's let's depersonalize this problem for now. I I know when I read this piece and watched this piece by Como TV, uh, I was I was flabbergasted uh, with regard to the extent of the problem. Could you add to that? How serious is the opioid and heroin epidemic around? Seattle or any Absolutely. city in America, probably. Well, to, to start on a national level, 
um, and all trends around the nation are followed in, in Seattle. But in 2013, we began to see a dramatic exponential increase in the rates of those that were suffering with opioid addictions. And um, nationally, right now, they say that 2.1 million Americans um, are dealing with some sort of opioid use disorder and um, are suffering, many of them, without any kind of treatment. Um, in 2016, they said that there were more than 63,000 drug overdoses uh, related to heroin and methamphetamines in the United States alone in 2016, mm-hmm. um, which says a lot about the problem. Uh, there's two pathways, as far as I can see, that traditionally for a very long time, people have associated substance abuse to cover some sort of emotional pain. That's been a long-held view, and that's still very true, that we all use certain sorts of substances. We all have certain sort of coping behaviors to deal with the things in our lives that we don't really want to be thinking about. Uh, But more than just the covering of emotional pain, since the introduction, the wide introductions of opioids uh, to be used in regards to helping with medical uh, um, recovery from surgery and different things like that, but substance abuse is now being used to cover physical pain as well, which has developed a new kind of addict. Uh, They say that three out of four people who started using heroin um, uh, in in our current day uh, began misusing prescription drugs first, which says a lot to us about where this is coming from, that it isn't any longer just people who are um, misdirected, misguided, dangerous, um, out to harm society, that that more and more people are normal people, Uh, people like you and me who uh, obey the law and try to do right in community and go in for a surgery. Maybe it's a dental surgery. Maybe it's a a broken foot or um, some other ailment that has caused us to get a surgery that's going to create some pain. And uh, everyone we're learning has different uh, kind of sensory abilities to handle opioids. So, Oh, hey, hey, wait, 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 stop uh, stop right there. Stop stop right there. You said something extremely interesting to me right there. We all have a different capacity to handle opioids. Correct. Yeah, that just like uh, some people can have one drink uh, and finish with one drink, some people have one drink and then they need to have 12. So when people come in and get off of surgeries, they get off their medications, some people, uh, their body says, I need more of that substance. How how, so did, how can you spot that? How can you tell if you're uh, one of those people? I, I think it has to do with how easily you can put the pill, pills down once you've recovered from your surgery. And some people ah. have a very easy time with it, and some people don't. Um, and some of the challenges related directly to opioids, uh, specifically related to um, oxycotton or oxycodone or other drugs that you would get prescribed to you from your doctor, they are ultimately more expensive and less powerful than the heroin that you might find on the street, which creates a problem because people who can't get prescribed their medications anymore uh, through means that are uh, legal, to have a legal subscription, uh, going to the, the pharmacy down the street is a legal and less dangerous way to satisfy a drug addiction until a certain point. And at that point, it becomes less expensive but more dangerous to go to the streets to find back-channel ways to get the drugs that you need. And once you're out there on the streets, uh, it's a downward cycle that comes with legal implications, can mean jail or prison time, which can impact a person's ability to operate a vehicle legally or hold down a job legally or hold down a place to live. 
Um, all of those things become compromised when someone gets caught up in some of the trappings that are associated with opioid addictions. And many times it starts with a simple surgery from someone who was living in the house next door. Uh, we see it a lot on the streets. And it's wow. uh, given, given rise and given concern. And it's happening so quickly that we haven't found ways to deal with it really um, most proactively yet. Wow. Wow. So so do you have a, any locally, is it local medical uh Industry it, it, do, making any any attempt at all to face up with this, or or uh, absolutely, um, I, okay. I really think that um, that's that's something that our um, our communities are starting to realize is there has to be a different way to deal with some of the challenges that we're facing uh, in our communities. Uh, it was said just by the King County Medical Examiner's Office reported in 2017 that just in King County alone there were 379 drug overdoses. Uh, 70% or so related to the opioids like heroin and the much more dangerous fentanyl, mm-hmm. uh, while other deaths were related to metaphet- uh, methamphetamines, which are also on the rise. So, uh, But it was said recently by uh, Jeff Buchan, who's an officer for public health in Seattle and King County, he said, we know that people with opioid use disorders want help to reduce their use, but the epidemic is outpacing our efforts both locally and nationally. He said, in addition to treatment, we must also look upstream and address the underlying social and economic causes that are driving this crisis. And um, Which that's are really what? where a what? lot of my work is. What are those causes? Uh, yeah, well, you know, if you look at it, uh, I've, I've spent a lot of time volunteering, serving, was even on staff for a little while with Seattle's Union Gospel Mission. And the mission has a really unique approach to recovery uh, in stating that addiction isn't primarily a substance issue, it's a relationship issue, and that the solutions to these addictions that we deal with will be found through the right pairing of resources and relationships. Okay, we're going to get back with our conversation with Chris Pepler again. I think you're finding it very interesting. I know I, know I am, so hang on. Let me tell you how you can help us with the show. Uh, it does take some resources. We have some generous people who've stepped up and helped us out with a great deal of it. But if you would like to support us, what we have is an offer uh, this month for any who can help us financially. It's called A Way Through the Wilderness, a great book by Jamie Buckingham. And the reason I've chosen this book is, one, Jamie was one of my dearest friends. And I think this is one of the finest books ever written on the Exodus Crossing. It is loaded with tremendous insights that you rarely find anywhere else. And it's a great book. I'm, I'm going to send it to you for whatever gift you can give to help us stay on the air. It's called The Way Through the Wilderness. All you have to do is you can do one of three things. You can either uh, go to our PayPal, which is Doug Murin at PayPal. Leave your address. The book will go out to you. Or you can send any size contribution to Caught on Tape or just Doug Mirren to 1806 Fifth Street, Wenatchee, W-E-N-A-T-C-H-E-E, Washington. Get this. Here's the zip. 98801. 1806 Fifth Street, Wenatchee, Washington. Send any size gift with your address. I'll get the book out to you. Or you can go to our website, which is Doug Mirren Radio. DougMirrenRadio.com, and you can follow the donation section. And I'll make sure you get that book. It's a tremendous book. Not only will you help me, but I know I'm going to get to help you with this book. So God bless you. We do thank you for your support. If you would like a live radio show outreach at your church, just contact us at any of those numbers. Uh, My email is Doug.Mirren 
at gmail.com. Doug.Murin at gmail.com. And we are starting to do some outreaches. I'm not doing a lot of them, but we are starting to do one. I hope you'll enjoy the show, and God bless you, and thank you for your generosity. And now back to more Caught on Tape with Doug Murin. I'm kind of admittedly a little bit, tiny bit old school. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but I'm, I'm up on a lot of the, a lot of stuff. I do read about it a lot. Cause I, I've all, I, you know, I, when I was, when I was younger, when I was 18, I went to jail for, for drug arrest and, mm-hmm. uh, uh, LSD mostly. I had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of tablets of LSD and I got arrested with them and, uh, was, was, uh, uh, actually making quite a bit of money. And I had, I had other drugs, of course, uh, at that time, uh, you know, uh, much more benign than what you can get around now. So, so I've kind of, I've kind of come around. I come out of that world, but my goodness, it, it keeps changing so radically. Uh, I had a time in our ministry that that we we would have runs on heroin addicts at time, and this was, it, you'll you'll love this, Chris. Here was our treatment. If you came to us for help, we prayed for you. There was nowhere to take you in those days. We, right. we, there was nowhere right. to go. You know what we did with you? We zipped you up in What's a that? sleeping bag and took turns sitting on you while you went on withdrawal. And we oh prayed. We prayed yes. over you for a couple of days. <laughs> right. That's what. Well, whatever it takes to get people through. Um, yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. You know, I'm not sure whether it was better or not, but it was kind of what we did. But we saw tons of people get freed up from it but i'll tell you what that was child's play compared to what i see around today absolutely and i think as a culture we we're in a culture that wants quick fixes that says this is a problem how do we fix it quickly and how do we fix it without any sort of burden on an individual and the answer is because relationship is such a huge part of helping people overcome addiction that that's going to require time and it's going to require people if we understand that uh, addiction, again, isn't primarily a substance abuse issue, it's a relationship issue, that our relationships, uh, they, we talked about addiction being the inability to maintain healthy relationships with people. And right. so the inverse would be to say, if we can find a way to introduce healthy relationships into the life of an addict, that's going to be a huge part of the recovery process. Now, that doesn't excuse the need for professional care, for time with chemical dependency counselors that can help you understand what's happening happening chemically within your body. And that's an important place for people recovering from addictions to spend time. I want to underscore that. It can't just be solved uh, with your neighbor's help alone. However, having a chemical dependency counselor isn't enough either. You need people who will come and sit with you and perhaps it on you for <laughs> two days in a sleeping uh, bag get over <laughs> right get over yeah. that because to yeah. do it by ourselves to say i can deal with some of these emotional challenges um, either uh, emotional challenges that that we use drugs to cover in the first place or the emotional right. challenges that come once we are hooked on drugs in both well, situations we need people that will walk with us I, you know and i think really there are, there are some you know i'm i believe in intense revivals but i've i've also always believed that God moves where our greatest problems are. Mm-hmm. And I, I have this sense that every local church really ought to own this, be it a 12-step group or volunteers to <laughs> sit on sleeping bags or, 
even having the courage to talk about it, because I'm going to ask you a, a little question. We'll probably take a break here. Mark's kind of guiding me, but I know sometimes I tell people who are coming out of being users, you need to get all new friends. You got to get right. out of that world. And that's where a church, a, a body of, of wise, loving people, I think becomes one of the greatest assets to any community. We may be as churches sitting on the cure for this blasted plague. Well, I think, obviously, still believe that the local church is the hope for the world. Yes. And it is important for the local church to begin to engage in places outside of themselves. And one solution that we have approached or taken a look at, has done for many years at Eastside Foursquare, and now, uh, actually, this week, I'm introducing at South Everett Foursquare, is, is what we call our, our urban plunges. And so we partner with Seattle's Evening Gospel Mission. And uh, this week, I'm taking a team of 12 men from South Everett Foursquare, men with jobs, some in the city, uh, some in the suburbs, but we're moving into the men's shelter at Seattle's Union Gospel Mission in awesome. Pioneer Square on Wednesday. And awesome. we'll take up bunks, and we'll be residents with the men in the recovery program from Wednesday to Sunday in the hopes of building healthy relationships, encouraging men in addiction. And the really interesting thing is that we find a common poverty when we work together. When I go to the mission, I find uh, and am exposed to all of my socially acceptable coping behaviors. And when I realize, though, the, the root of the pain is the same. And when I can walk with a man who's in the ravages of addiction, I've seen men uh, crawl up out of alleyways in Pioneer Square and go through recovery programs and mm-hmm. come on staff at the mission. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine who I met while I was on a plunge just sitting in a Bible study on his second night in the program, we got to walk together. I got to go to court appointments with him. I got to see him graduate from the program. I got to see him come on staff at the mission as a chef. I got to see him begin coaching baseball and coming and being a guest in my home and by the time he's a guest in my home, he's my friend, and I've forgotten that I ever met him when he was an addict before right. recovery. Right. And the local church has a lot to offer by just going and being present with those who are struggling in these deep, dark addictions. Okay, I, I want to say that again. By being present with those in addiction. I know uh, I helped someone who was a professional basketball player, terribly addicted to coke and, and a little bit of... Uh, heroin type stuff. I moved him in my house <laughs> yeah. and, and uh, he'll, he'll tell you today, he now lives on the East coast. He'll tell you that we, I saved his life. And mm-hmm. I, 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 I think, you know, when we talk, we usually, when we, when we talk about this kind of stuff, we think programs, we think, uh, 12 step meeting, we think meetings, which are good, essential, but yes, I, I think as, as Christians, Hey, it's like take a hand and hold and yes. hold on tight if you have to. And, yes. uh, and, and it's, there's nothing more frustrating than working with an addict. Is there? Um, fewer, fewer things <laughs> I have found more frustrating. <laughs> than that. That's one thing I, I actually had an, an addict holding the drug in their hands and I kicked the bathroom door open because his wife called, say he won't come out. He won't. I kicked the bathroom door open. He's got it in his hand. And I said, do you want me to beat the crap out of you? <laughs> what are you doing? We've worked too hard for this. And he said, I was just seeing if I'd do it or not. <laughs> and I said, the soot on the floor says you failed, man. But I love you. 
I love you, and I'm not going to let you do this. Anyway. Right. <laughs> and I think one of the other things that we have to remember is that we can walk alongside people, and what keeps us as those walking with those in addiction healthy is remembering that each person has to make their own choice. Exactly. And I can walk with an addict so long as they continue to walk, but I can't drag them down the street without nope. causing my own recovery to come into question, falling into codependent behaviors. Uh, I need to understand that uh, it is upon each person. We each have to walk our own journey, and we have to do it together, which I would suggest to anyone listening that is interested in getting involved in addiction recovery ministry, maybe it's someone who's been personally impacted by it in their own home growing up, like myself. Um, maybe it's someone who just has a has a heart for those that are on the streets. One thing I would encourage is don't do it alone. Get uh, connected with a Celebrate Recovery group Good. or a recovery ministry that can teach you how to do it, because trying to do this uh, without the necessary education and without the proper mentoring can cause more harm for the person you're trying to help and actually more harm for yourself. Exactly. Um, so I would encourage people to get involved with groups that know how to do this well and can teach us and train us how to do this well. So you you, you think my methodology might be in question? Well, I don't know. I think, <laughs> yeah, I had to bump my head <laughs> on it the hard way. Right? I can tell you stories. Uh, I, I came off the deep end because I was trying to do it in my own strength. Sure. I, uh, Absolutely. Yeah. This is this is such vital stuff. You know, I I think there are a few people listening to the show, and I know the podcast, people from all over. Hey, this is this is where the church ought to be going right now. This is this is where we ought to go. This is this is the battleground on so many levels politically, legally, spiritually, socially, as you've said so well, friendship. This this is something we I think if there's pastors who ever listening, you need to be talking about this. Because, because I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, there's, there's great liberation happens when things that are, you know, one of the, one of the real things about addiction is the secrecy is one of the things that keeps its power. The more we shed the light on it, loving light that would overpower it, I, I think we could do a lot in our community. I, I don't think Seattle should be given over to this. What do you think? No, there there are solutions, but it's going to require each of us to roll up our sleeves and get down in the mud and get down in the pit and walk with people, and it's not fast. But the outcomes are, are really fantastic. There's a, an African proverb that I uh, return to almost daily uh, when I want to be more independent than I ought to be, and it simply says that if we want to go quickly, we should go by ourselves. <laughs> but if we want to go a long way, we should go in a group. That's and good. going in a group is frustrating because we have to surrender our own will and our own pride and our own ability to be right. But to come as a student, uh, when I go into homeless camps, when I go into homeless recovery shelters, I come as a student, not as one with answers, but as one with with ears who takes a posture of learning to hear somebody's story and to say, I have a story like that. Would you like to journey with me towards a healthier place, towards the grace of Jesus, um, in a way that um, makes a difference, not just in the streets, but I know that at Eastside Foursquare, our long-standing relationship over a period of eight years with men in the recovery program absolutely changed the way that people in our congregation saw addiction. It opened their eyes to their own addictive behaviors. It yeah. restored relationships and marriages. It restored relationships with adult parents and their adult right. children. Cool. It helped moms of little kids be, be better moms and dads be better dads because it 
reveals to us our shared poverty, which is a, cool. a spiritual poverty. Beautiful. So, Chris Pepler from the uh, South Everett Foursquare Church. You yes. sound, uh, I'm not going to put your number or anything on the phone, but if someone wanted to get a hold of us at at uh, at uh, Doug.Murin at gmail.com, uh, I think Chris would be more than happy to help resource, uh, get you to some information. If you're from other cities, I'll tell you, I know people all over the country who could help you. This is a this is a church issue. This is where the battle is. We need to be part of curing this. And and I'm I'm going to tell you, I hope this doesn't sound like bragging, but there was a day nothing was happening in my church. Nothing was happening. And I called up my supervisor, Dr. Roy Hicks Sr., who has since passed, and I said, man, nothing happening. He said, are you praying? Well, of course I wasn't praying. <laughs> but I said, well, yeah, I'm praying. He said, okay, take your pillow and a blanket and go in the sanctuary, and you pray one to two nights a week, all night, for God to release people who are addicted. I don't. I was kind of different. I thought, well, Doc thinks it's a good thing. I'll do it. So I did. You know, you know I did that for probably fifteen years. Prayed all wow. night, and I would do that. And I, I won't tell you things. I saw actually as amazing things I saw in my heart, and would see. We would see dozens of addicts begin to come free. And there, there comes a point where I think even as church leaders, I think there, there are a lot of Christians listening to the show that we need to get angry about this. There, there comes a point when every church in the community says, not on our watch. And so that's kind of why I wanted you on today, Chris. You have a good reputation for speaking well on this. And I have felt this for our nation and for our city. I, this is kind of a prayer. Enough's enough. It's time to turn this back. And uh, every congregation needs to be part of this. And, and uh, I'm, I'm not in a situation to help a lot of churches with this, but I'll certainly make sure you connect with Chris, and I'm sure he'll have some friends and I have some friends, but hey, folks, can we let's 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 listeners let's own this together. Thanks, Chris. You were you were absolutely a Doug. very so good much. guest, and uh, I hope we get to meet and shake hands and 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 all that. You came from yeah, Eastside, uh, so you got to be a great guy. <laughs> okay, yeah, man. Absolutely. Bless yep. you, Chris. All right, thank you. <laughs> bye bye. Caught on tape with Doug Murin is a listener and friend supported program. Your help with the show and expanding the evangelism events of Doug Murin is appreciated. You can write Doug Murin, caught on tape, at 1806 Fifth Street, Wenatchee, Washington, 98801. Or online at DougMurinRadio.com.